Hello, everyone. Uh, are we live? I don't see. Hi, Matilda. We are live. Yeah, we are live. Okay, one second. I. Oh. Uh oh. Hello. Hi, everybody. Today we have um, Carla on our right hand side with Wonder and Wellbeing. We have um, Nelson, invested in America, so his uh, taglines are up there. And we have Victor here with um, Diaspora Entrepreneurs podcast and myself, um, Simon Rushton with Africa Invested Stories. Carla will be joining us shortly with her Matilda. Matilda uh, sorry, Matilda will be joining us shortly with Matilda. <laughs> sorry, Matilda. I got Introduce everybody, if you can just start from there, please. Yeah, welcome everyone to the Podcasters Unleashed. This is weekly live stream with group of podcasters from different parts of the world with real podcasters, real stories and real topics. And this week we'll be talking about war and conflict, specifically about Armenia and Azerbaijan right now. And um, did you guys introduce? Yes, uh, okay, so I'm gonna, uh, I'm Armenian from Iran, so this topic is very close to my heart, and I'm very happy that, um, you know, that you guys are helping me to hopefully bring some light to what's happening in this part of the world, what's happening to our fellow humans, and I hope we can raise awareness and stop some misinformation about it because um, some of the world leaders are uh, continuing to be silent. So I'm gonna ask you uh, the first question. What comes to your mind when we say war and conflict? And what is your relation with war? Like, have you even experienced it and um, how? So maybe we can start with Carla. So um, I think war is not something new. Um, as long as we've had more than one human being, we've had war. Um, and it's something that we've all been affected by, even if we haven't experienced it directly. I think that we we suffer the effects of it. Um, our ancestors suffered the effects of it. Some of us are here as a result of wars, maybe even, um, and the displacement of people that happens um, as part of those wars. And um, I think they happen on big scale between countries. They happen in communities. We have you know, countries where there are wars that have been happening for years that are also um, maybe hidden, you know, or don't get as much um, publicity. Um, and I think we have wars inside of ourselves as well, <laughs> with, you know, different parts of ourselves and, you know, dualities and conflicts that we experience on an individual basis. And I think that has a lot to do with um, what happens in the bigger picture as well. So that those are just my initial, you know, thoughts and experience and also um carla you've been you worked with children from um war that, that were affected by war yes yeah i have um my first experience with a child that had been affected with war was it was a shock for me actually it was when i was working in the uk many many years ago when i first started teaching and there was a girl who had been affected by the civil wars in somalia and oh, wow. she 
yeah and she had never been to school she was an orphan and her when we when she arrived in our school what we'd heard about her is that she had been um her whole family had been killed and she was the only survivor um, when her village you know was attacked and she was in the arms of her mother when her mother was killed and oh. the, the people who attacked her family thought that she'd also been killed, but she didn't. She survived. And she ended up um, as an infant um, all the way into London, she, where, they, where she had a relative. And then from London, she found her way to the East Midlands where I was working. And this girl was just the sweetest, most joyful child I've ever seen in my life. You would not believe that she'd had that kind of childhood or that kind of beginning. And she sticks with me because I always think of how she reacted to running water. She just, she loved school because she'd never been to school or had any experience, but she loved the idea of just running the tap. So we had to watch her and keep her away from the water because she'd just keep running to the tap all the time and turning the tap on and just watching the water run. <laughs> just playing in the running water and washing her face and drinking and just like giggling with just like this joy that you only hear from a child. Um, so that's the first experience I had with a child um, from a war zone. Um, and I've had others over the years. I had some when I was working in Qatar as well, um, boys that had been involved in wars throughout, you know, and been in conflicts in different countries in Africa and things like that over the years. Um, and they're all affected in different ways. Some of them are very withdrawn. Um, I think it affects boys and girls differently and also it affects children at different ages differently and also the individual experiences as well and what, what's actually happened to them. Some children that we work with in schools, don't. we don't know exactly what's happened and we never find out actually because they don't talk either. Very interesting. So I think that throughout our conversation, I would like to come back to you and understand the psycho what happens to the, how, what is the effect of it to the children? So um, I will go back to, um, to you, Carla, about it. Let's go to Nelson. Have you had experience with war? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Um, I mean, it's a it's a kind of a yes no question. So yeah, uh, uh, I have had. Um, mm -hmm. I was in the first Gulf War. Uh, I was in the uh, second Gulf War. I've been in every conflict the United States has had uh, since 1991. Um, so um, to include in other places as well, I was also supposed to be uh, at the World Trade Center 9-11. I was supposed to be doing a presentation at that day. Uh, by a fluke of nature, I wasn't, I wasn't there. So I would have been, I guess, a, a civilian casualty uh, of a terrorist attack. Um, so yeah, I would have been a civilian casualty uh, of a terrorist attack there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Well, you have then you have a lot of experience with war. What about you, Victor? Have you had any experience with war, and what is your relation with war? Um, hi, Matilda. Um, hi. No. No, I've not been. Um, directly affected by war, I've not been related to war, but conflicts, you know, not directly as well, but some parts of, um, a couple of years ago, some part of um, the Niger Delta region, which is in Nigeria, 
they had some conflicts mm. long time ago. So where, so whereby um, cities and smaller towns and villages were dispersed because of the oil conflicts there. So, and this was years ago. So, but I wasn't directly affected. Um, none of my relative also was affected, but I know friends who who went to boarding house together in the mm -hmm. in the eighties. Yeah, who were directly affected because they come because they came from the riverine area. Their homes, houses were burnt, you know. So, because of the conflicts, and you know, the effects of war. It's so it's so devastating. Like what Carla said with that kid. See, death, death is like the tip of the iceberg when it comes to war because the, the long-term effect is so, it's so, it's so profound. So I have personally, I've never been in, um, in any war situation before. So I would really like to, I would really enjoy this conversation today. But Nelson, listen, it's fascinating where you are right now. I mean, you usually live in UK in London, I think, but right now you're in Nigeria, and I mean, I'm I'm watching the news, and it's crazy things happening there. So maybe we, you should have a podcast about it, so we can be aware of it exactly the details of it, because it's like wow. Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would love to do um, talk about it. You know, even though even though that's not my niche, but it is, uh, you know, conflict affects so many areas of the yeah. social, economic, um, the family life, just our day-to-day -day harmonization. Conflicts affect that seriously. Even even our heritage as well. People getting dispersed from one community to the next. People becoming homeless, moving to IDP camps. You know, becoming refugees in their own country, even going as far as from Nigeria to Europe or the or, or the America. Why? Because of war and the effects that it has. So, what is happening in Nigeria right now? I would love to talk about it as the whole thing unfolds because I don't have first and um, I don't have too many facts on my hands right now. So I don't want to just go off on the tandem and start speaking of what I don't actually have in-depth knowledge about. Okay. And Simon, what about you? What is your relation with war? Have you had any experience? My relation with war is, um, most wars are just business, from what I see. People have something and, then, and somebody else wants it and the man with the biggest stick usually wins. And um, that's what I would say um, my experience of war is. Um, regardless of the campaign, throughout history, you can see that that's, that's what's the bottom line kind of thing. You have something, I want it. You won't give it to me, I take it. And I use my might to get what you have um as you will probably explain in your um later on in your topic of today so um you know september 27th azerbaijan started to attack and 
I want to make sure that everyone understands the scale of it. Armenia is uh, three million people only. I mean, less than three million, two and a half million. And Armenia is fighting against four powers. Azerbaijan, 10 million people. Turkey is supporting Azerbaijan with 83 million people. I mean, publicly they're supporting. There's no, um, they, it's not hidden. And also they hired jihadi terrorists from Syria to, um, to, to be, to fight against Armenians. And there are sophisticated Israeli drones, which I'm gonna talk about it later on because psychologically they're changing the game of the war. So I wanna ask you guys to see, how do you think, like Azerbaijan spent billions of dollars in their, um, in their military. They build up its armed force and its modern sophisticated military. Why would they need mercenaries who don't even speak the language because these mercenaries are speaking Arabic and Azerbaijani are speaking Turkish. They don't even know the territory because Karabakh area is a very mountainous area. So why would a government outsource their patriotic duty? Do you, can you come up with an idea about it? It's easier to lose people who you don't have to be accountable for. It's mercenaries. Yeah. Mercenaries are the most effective in one sense because you can do what you want as long as you have the money to pay them and you can get the job done. And then you're, you, know, you haven't lost your public opinion, your public favour, because no people of your nation have lost children. No women are crying because of their lost children. No fathers are upset. They, um, they tapped to the voice recordings um, of missionaries that they're talking and they're saying, uh, actually there's one on BBC and BBC posted it as well, that they're saying there's missionaries, they're saying they uh, lied to us. We thought we're working on a, uh, I don't know, a security um, job, but then they lied to us, they brought us here. They're not even feeding us properly and they, we need to kill, we need to kill them very brutally. So it's, um, it's very sad what's happening. They came, I think, for money and they're not even getting paid the money that they were supposed to be getting. And now um, when it's ceasefire, well, they're not respecting the ceasefire and Red Cross cannot go and exchange the bodies because uh, as you said, Azerbaijanis, they don't even care about the missionary bodies so they don't care if they have it or not. So it's very, the situation is very complex and very dirty, actually, I think. It's if, a very dirty If you're saying the mercenaries aren't being paid, they're not going to be mercenaries for very long. So I don't know how, true that, how true that is, but if you're paying someone to do a job and it's risking their life and they're cold killers and you don't pay them and don't supply their needs, you're going to have a bigger problem than you thought you had for the people that you wanted to be removed. Yeah, um, Macron said it as well. Uh, so um, Macron um, um, 
said it in his talk too that they they did their investigation and they they found out that there are missionaries fighting the war and um they're gonna do some they say they're gonna talk with azerbaijan and you know but i don't i don't know how much of these talks can go somewhere but no there is all this evidence and uh hopefully we'll get something out of it somebody will do something there so um Nelson, do you have something to say about it? Since you, you know, Matilda, um, I mean, when you have a mercenary army, first of all, well, first of all, like Simon said, if they're not paying those guys, they're not going to be uh, there for very long. The second thing is, is it's very, it's very easy to be brave with uh, someone else's blood. Yeah. Okay. Um, and as far as them not understanding the language and the culture. Um, I mean, sometimes that might apply. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, they did a fight, I would imagine. They did a fight. And uh, Azerbaijan is looking for allies, right? So uh, there's mm -hmm. a bunch of different ways you can get allies. So they just hired some allies. Um, and, and that's all there is to it. They just hired some allies. Um, you know, it's very interesting when we talk about Armenian soldiers because, you know, they're not paid... No, I mean, they're not professional soldiers. They're like the regular, I don't know, it's the teacher, it's the DJ, it's the singer, it's the yes, so engineer, uh, whoever is around, whoever men are around and they know how to maybe deal with weapon. They are, they are right now volunteering their life for Armenia right now. So because for them, it's a matter of existence. Um, they're fighting for their existence. It's not a territory that they want to, their grandparents were living in this land. So I think the attitude is very different for Armenian soldiers. Their, their pride is to exist and to continue to fight. So I'm going to give you guys another, another element here to think about. As of 23rd of October, Genocide Watch. It's an organization, GenocideWatch.com. He declared a genocide emergency on indigenous Armenians of Artsakh, Karabakh, being committed by Azerbaijani with help of Turkey and Israel weapons. This is sadly not the first genocide and mass ethnic cleansing that the Armenians have went through. And it's not a surprise that the mastermind behind the current situation is Turkey. Because Turkey at the time, Ottoman Empire, massacred, slaughtered one and a half million Armenians in 1915. They wanted to keep two Armenians and put them in a museum. Well, clearly they didn't do the job well because I'm here and you have a lot of Armenian friends around the world, in Russia, in America, in France, in Africa, in Argentina, because of this genocide. I th and they want to finish what they started 105 years ago. President Erdogan, leader of Turkey, has publicly promised to finish out the genocide, which is ha happening right now. And it's amazing that they chose this time because it's pandemic. Uh, the world is busy with, you know, dealing with COVID, and it's um, you know um, 
voting time for America. So the media is very busy with these two important elements. I want to ask you guys, what do you think Russia roles is? Because Russia, this is happening, the background of Russia. Why is UN not doing much? Why European Union, they're constantly talking, but nothing is happening. Why NATO is keeping silence? Do you guys have any, any idea about it? People get involved in wars for their own interest. We see that time and time again. Yes. You have to ask yourself, what does your country have? You know, if you need help and you want someone to risk their life to help you, unless it's a spare of the moment thing, like, you know, you're going to get hit by a car or whatever and they're going to jump in the way and grab you or what have you, they're going to say, well, what's in it for me? If I don't help you, you die, I get to take your land anyway. Um, but, you know, uh, Russia needs to worry about if their terrorists are fighting the war. I mean, it's very close to his territory. Yeah, but Don't the population, what's your population? Less than 3 million. Look at Russia's population. They're not going to have a hard time squashing you. That's not fair. I mean, we've been we've been helping them with their. We gave a lot of generals to them, you know, yeah, for World War Two. We were fighting for them with them. Yeah, but that was then. World War Two. What's that? Seventy, eighty years ago. You're still yeah. talking about that. They're not going to worry about that. You was part of them, but you're not now. That's how they look at it. Basically, you're saying because we don't have a lot of natural resources we are not an important topic for the world to care about for yeah for governments to care about if i if i matilda, matilda if i jump in if i jump in there there was this um i think it's um this morning show on cnn a couple of days ago during this week and um, one of these um, guys from, I don't know if it's a White House reporter or something like that, I don't know. But he was saying, they were asking about what's going on in Nigeria and the whole world is just like keeping mute. He said it plain. It's not, the black West Africa is not just a priority. So, being, for Armenia to be um, in Russia's back, backyard, maybe it's not a priority yet. For Russia until maybe one or two world powers come in and they start like but my thing is why is this really really important to you anyways um but what do you mean why is it important that's my country I mean they're gonna wipe out Armenia I mean I'm not gonna have a country um, you don't live I there live no but I that's don't live there. who I am I'm Armenian that's who I am. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna wipe out my identity. My but language. Still... I've been living there for five six more than six thousand years. How can I say, oh I mean we're one of we are the first Christian in the world. Three oh one. 
how can I mean, how can the world not care about it? We are a very strong na nation. We were one of the oldest ones. And I, I'm sorry, we gave you a Your language goes on and your culture goes on because you've got Armenians living around the world. You're one of them. Um, no. Can you tell that to a Jewish person? I don't know any Jewish people. But it's still, still the same thing. Their language went on. Well, they lost Israel how many thousand years ago? They got themselves together after the war and they went and took it back. But how is their life now? Well, They're they, constantly they, fighting with Palestine. Yeah, because that's another issue. Because they went and took it back and didn't probably take it back in the best way form. But they're kind of happy because they have influence and they've got a piece of land which they say is theirs. Well, uh, uh, Simon, I think I'm trying to be very collected right now. <laughs> I will be very, I, I mean, I'm sure if there were other Armenians here, they would feel very angry about this subject as well. I'm sure that you're not telling me in a bad way. You're just questioning the concept. But, you know, this is my land. It's an right. amazing country. I it's want to right. have a country. I want to come, go to my, I go to my, to Armenia constantly. And these are innocent people that they're going to die. For what? For who? All right, Matilda, can I ask you something? Yes. How would you solve the problem, the situation? How would you solve it? I think there is, the tragedy of Nagorno-Karabakh has only one solution the international recognition of the in independence of Artakh Karabakh, same as the international recognition of Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia. You understand? That's, I think that's the only solution. So you reckon, let's say everybody recognized that, those words, yeah? What then happens? That nothing, Armenians? People are still fighting. No. Yeah, think about it. Because everybody knew who Germany was, everybody knew who Hitler, Poland, all these different places, but they still fought. So recognizing, how's that going to solve the issue? Well, recognizing that's the first step, at least. Yeah, but I'm asking we'll you, go. how are you going to solve the issue? And I'm sorry, they're gonna. Somebody needs to stop Erdogan. Somebody needs to stop Aliyev. So they need to stop it. Yeah. They need to stop. They need to stop it because another genocide will happen. Okay. Do you are, do you, are you familiar with pan Turkism? Well, I assume it's the same concept of pan Africanism. Yeah, it's a fascism, and we cannot. We cannot allow that happen to the world. The world cannot see another Hitler. Are you, are you gonna, uh, is everyone okay to see another Hitler in this world? Well, I don't know enough about the guy to say he's a Hitler or he's not a Hitler. Obviously, there's some personal issues here that you're not happy with. But what my it's not personal, uh, it's Simon. It's what he's doing. That's what you said. It's your people, so it should be personal. 
But what I'm looking at and thinking is, you're trying to solve a issue here. Who's going to risk their life to save your people? Because that's ultimately what it's coming down to. Listen, America just needs to stop it, like saying, okay, Turkey, stop it. And I'm sure Turkey will stop. Or um, Putin needs to just say, you know, stop it. And they will stop. I'm sure they will. They, I mean, they are, what, who is the most powerful countries in the world? All right. Do you realize that America needs allies? And in that part of the world, as an Islamic ally, Turkey plays a big role for America. Yeah, but I think they are changing right now to go to Greece. But Greece is not Muslim. Yeah. Islamic. So you need a big, strong Islamic ally. That's Turkey. So why are they going to go against their ally? Do you understand? So what I'm saying is... I don't know, maybe for humanitarian stuff, because they are doing, they are, they are doing against humans. Yes, but you want people to risk their life to save a group of humans and they have no interest in them. There's no nothing for them to gain. So you're going to turn to an American mother and say, I want your son to come over here and risk his life for 3.5 million people. And she's going to say, why? Why should my son go there? He's here to defend us. I'm sorry. Your son was there uh, collecting oil in Iraq. What's that got to do with this situation? No, it's the same. Why Why is America uh, and yeah, other countries business? Yeah, but what I'm pointing out to you, one is business, one is not. The I don't know what Armenia can offer right now. So, Michaela, I've, I've got a question here. I mean, what would be the things that people could do just the average layperson could do um, to bring attention to, uh, yeah, to, to bring a t attention to this part of the world. Um, you know, you know what, what could be something that the average person could do? Well, I think um, it's very interesting that you asked, Nelson. They can educate themselves about this topic so they realize what's going on in the world um, um, turkey and azerbaijan they are uh, filtering their news and um and they're sharing i mean not true stuff to the world so maybe they have to realize that there are lies coming up from this side and they can make decisions themselves. They can do their own research. There are innocent human beings that they're dying in Armenia. Yeah, but, uh, but, but, but tell the one second. But what is it that a person can do? Okay, a person is going to educate themselves, okay? Um, which I really don't, I think people don't. There has to be a trigger to tell a person, hey, I'm interested in finding out about this. Um, <clears throat> right? There's got to be something to say, hey, I'm interested in finding out. Okay, I'm curious. All right. So that's the first thing. That's got to be the trigger. Then people get interested. So one, how do we get people interested? And two, what are the top two, three, four, five things that a person can do to say, hey, 
um, I, uh, you know, um, uh, this should stop. This should slow down. Uh, I mean, what are the top things that a person could possibly do? I think they can post it on their social media so we can raise awareness about this topic. Okay. They can try lobbying. They can uh, try bring, I mean, to force um, their governments to recognize um, Arta, they, to recognize the independence of Gharabagh. So where? I think these are the independence of Gharabagh. And that's Armenia, right? Well, this is the key. They were all Armenian land. And there are Armenian people there for 5,000 years. And then Stalin comes in um, Soviet Union. He becomes, oh, like uh, in 1921, he becomes, he's like, oh, let's give this part of the land to Azerbaijan. Mine as well. You have to remember Azerbaijan was built in 1918. Like Coca-Cola is older, older than Mm -hmm. Azerbaijan. So he gives this land to Azerbaijan. At that time, in Soviet time, borders weren't moving that much because it was under the SSI. And then before collapsing, our, uh, this part of the land wanted to go back to Armenia and wanted to have its independence. The, uh, and uh, between 1988 till 1994, were fighting against Azerbaijan for the land and became independent. But somehow they are not respecting the boundaries again. And they it started 20 years later, it started again. So this part, Gharabagh, which Armenians are living, they just want to be independent. That's the only way that the world can be okay with this, to be I mean, against Azerbaijan. That's the only way we can keep that land if it's independent. So we want the, the recognition of independences. From the sound of it, you're going to always have problems. You're yeah. a small country and you haven't got a means to defend yourself. Yes, we always uh, relied on Russia. But unfortunately, Russia right now is selling weapons to both sides. And why don't you go back to Russia then? Um, I think Russia doesn't like the president right now that we have. I think. I don't know. Because we... No, I we, mean, if Russia... If you had peace under Russia, you're going to be part of Russia again. But then Russia takes uh, advantage from us. Oh, doesn't right. allow to do a lot of things. It's life. Do you see what I mean? You can't survive on your own if you're having problems. Then you've got to go to somebody for a price. You can't have it both ways. Okay. Well, this is... Um, I mean, this is something that, you know, obviously the leaders have to think about it because we don't want to be under influence of Russia that much. We want to just to be an independent country with independent people. But quite obviously, oh, we don't have the strength of it. Yes. Um, let, me make, let me make a suggestion now. 
In the past two weeks, there have been worldwide protests for the end of uh, police brutality in Nigeria. Can you hear me? Yeah. So, so now you you have this platform. You have um, your podcast. You have the power of social media at your disposal. They used in Nigeria. They use this word, this hashtag called NSAS. So, I would suggest you connect with Armenians all over the world that are in the diaspora and start the hashtag. Yeah, I mean, start the um, hashtag. that will be that will be my suggestion to bring um, awareness for people to be more to to. to that, that might be the trigger that Nelson is talking about. Why people need to educate themselves. Because they start seeing these hashtags, they might be more inquisitive to just want to find out what is this all about. And that's where they can start educating themselves. Well, we actually. have a lot of hashtags. We have a lot of hashtags, but it seems like maybe it's not enough because if you guys haven't seen it, that means, I mean, I'm seeing it because obviously I have a lot of Armenian friends. But if you guys haven't seen it, that means we're not doing the job well enough so a lot of people can see it. We do have hashtags. Recognize Artach. We have peace for Armenians. Right. Artach so, strong. So, so Matilda, let me, let, let, let me tell you. Okay. The biggest celebrity from Armenia that is, out, uh, that is in the diaspora, do they use the hashtags? Yeah, we have, yeah, we have System of Down. Sash Tankian, I don't know if you guys know the band. We have Alex Ohanian, the IT guy, yes. Matilda, I'll tell you, Victor's idea is fantastic. I mean, the biggest Armenian known, biggest, uh, you know, why am I going like this with my hands, right? Um, no pun intended. So that is that Armenian, that voluptuous, talk about Coca-Cola, right? Is that Coca-Cola looking Armenian is... Is is her hashtag um, anything having to do with the conflict? Uh, uh, you're talking about Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Strong possibility that I'm talking about her. So um, I have to check. I don't know. I have. Yeah. I think yes. Armenians need to be connect with right. her because she's she has a lot of followers. I mean, so, more than eighty million, I think. But but you see, so that's she has more followers than Armenians. Yeah, exactly. So the, the, I mean, there's more people that follow her than there are Armenians. Yeah. In, in the diaspora or, or in Armenia. Okay. So so that that that's something. And and you gotta again, Victor hit it right there, the head on the, you know, um and, and, and this is something that grows over time. I mean, look, my my family uh, is from South America. Um in Colombia. Okay, Colombia had a huge problem with the FARC. It's a, a guerrilla organization. They had practically controlled a big part of Colombia, except for the five major cities. I mean, they had the whole country on lockdown, Colombia. And um, there was a school, a, a grade school, kids, you know, uh, grades like three through six or something, had a, had a program with another, some other grade school in Colombia where they would write letters to each other and then the letters would go back and forth, you know, and um, that school in Colombia uh, was attacked. The Colombian army was fighting in there with the FARC, the uh, 
Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. And um, during that battle, it was a battle. Uh, the students, their parents, they ran into a church. The church got bombed. It was an accident. But it was a horrible thing. It was horrible. I mean, kids died. Whole families died. The church was attacked. They launched cylinder bombs at each other. Well, the FARC launched cylinder bombs. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the kids, their, their pen pal mates were killed or wounded. So, um, so they did something that kids do. I've done this. They wrote a letter to their congressman and to their senator. Hey, you know, this yeah, is happening. So we, yeah. we, and, I mean. One second, let me finish. And um, so their congressman and senator, I mean, your job is to, you know, find out what's going on with your constituents. So all these kids were complaining. And uh, so the congressman and the senator, they did what they're supposed to do. They wrote a letter. Hey, we're going to go to Colombia for a fact-finding trip. And the Colombian government said, we don't know if we can guarantee your security. Wrong answer to say that to a U.S. senator and to a U.S. congressman because Colombia was getting a, a nice little check in military aid. And their reply was, maybe we should reconsider our military aid package to you. All of a sudden, they could guarantee the security for anybody. So they went, they saw, and guess what? For about four or five years, Colombia became the third largest recipient of U.S. military aid. First is Egypt, second is Israel, third was Colombia. Was it just because those kids wrote those letters? No. But I can tell you what, those kids writing those letters got that congressman and senator to fly down there. That that made that happen. Okay? That that definitely made that happen. And um, it was just a bunch of kids writing letters. Just kids writing letters. And, uh, and these guys were naive enough to say, or arrogant enough to say, we can't guarantee your safety. And their reply is, if we're going, there's a check that follows us. And that check might stop too. And guess yeah. what? Colombia became the third largest recipient of U.S. military aid. Okay, enough of that. Um, interesting, Nelson. Thank you for sharing. I want to just share one quick point, and I thought it was very fascinating. And you might, you guys might think it interesting as well. What um, there is this guy called Emil Gesson. He's a British. Um, former um, um, Royal Marine went uh, that he served in different wars. Also right now he's a British journalist, he's a, a filmmaker and documentary for wars. He went to um, front line, uh, right now he's in Armenia. And he said one thing that is uh, very different than other wars is they're using Israeli drones. And these drones, it's a kamikaze drones and it makes a noise. And maybe once or twice a day drops a bomb. But because of the sound, people are scared because when they hear the sound, they don't know exactly where this drone is going to fly or where exactly this drone is. So most of the days, people are in the, they are just trying to find the shelter, whereas the bomb is not, is not even released. So they're controlling people with the sound. So it's very interesting how they're affecting the people psychologically. 
I thought that can be interesting. They're not even spending money. They're just putting this drone to fly. And then all these people are scared. And maybe once or twice, they drop the bomb. I'm looking at the comments. And uh, one of the people were saying something very interesting. Yeah, Russia needs, um, needs to separate Turkey and Azerbaijan. It's not its own interest to have a united, because um, they want to get united. That's pan-Turkish Turkism. They want to unite all the Turkic-speaking countries together. So Armenia is a strategic location. That's why Turkey is involved, because they want to wipe out, they want to ethnic cleanse Armenians, because they want to get united with Azerbaijan. So I think, not I think, I believe, Russia is Russia's best interest to have Armenia there. Otherwise, they're going to get united. See, there are some reasons for Russia. Simon. <laughs> what, I believe Russia knows what they're doing. Russia's very, remember, Russia's good at chess. That's their thing. Yeah. They know how to play the game. They play it very well, especially against America. Look at it. They put Trump in office. Very good. That's about as strategic as you can get. Okay. Okay, guys, we're end of we're end of our session. It was lovely to talk to you guys. I'm gonna continue my podcast from today on. This couple of actually till end of the war. Hopefully, it will be soon uh, to talk about um, you know to bring some light about this topic. But thank you for sharing this topic with me, and we will get back to our audience with another show with. Um, Podcasters on this next Monday. Do we know the topic, Simon? We will get back to you. There will be a poster that's going to be um, pushed out on Wednesday. And Very good. Will, and it will let everybody know the information. Look, Very I can good. tell you what the topic's going to be. The topic is going to be something you don't want to miss. Okay. That's the topic. Yeah. It's something you don't want to miss. There you go. Okay, Nelson. From uh, investing in America, uh, we have Victor with, uh, I cannot see yours. Victor is. The Diaspora um, Entrepreneur Podcast. Diaspora Entrepreneur, yes. From Nigeria. You're going to be in Nigeria again next week? Um, yeah. Very good. And we have Carla for Wonder and Wellbeing and Simon investing in America. Okay, I'll see you guys next week then. And I'm going to have Kim Kardashian here on my lap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>